The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to Physical Attraction, the show that explains physics, one chat-up line at a time. You know what the great thing about hosting this show is, is that as a podcast, I can see a story over my lunchtime, and then in the evening, I can write a script for you guys, and then I can record it at the night time, and it can be out before the end of the day. And uh, that's what I want to do today. So today is a breaking news alert, because I thought it was worth doing a quick news update for the show because of today's announcement from LIGO. So in the episode we did on LIGO just a week or so ago, uh, these are the people who observed the gravitational waves and won the Nobel Prize, we mentioned that the next big detection that LIGO will be hoping to make would probably be two neutron stars merging together, which can also happen, and that the neutron stars would produce a pretty big signal too. And today they announced with a flurry of scientific papers in all the major journals that they had indeed detected a neutron star merger. What's even more interesting about this particular event is that we also saw the optical counterpart, we saw the electromagnetic radiation that came from the event. So you guys will probably remember from the episode on LIGO that one of the reasons why the first thing they detected, two black holes merging together, was so cool was because we couldn't see them any other way. Indeed, people weren't even sure that black hole mergers were even occurring often enough for us to ever see one. And that's because black holes are, well, you know, they're black. No light can escape from the event horizon inside the black hole, so there's no way of seeing things. So the most energetic region of the black hole merger doesn't contain much matter that can radiate light back for us to see. That's why we needed the gravitational waves to determine that these events were even occurring at all. Neutron stars are the cold dead cores of stars that were made up of pure neutron matter, which has the density of the nucleus, which is just incredibly dense. We talked about them as one of the end phases of stars in the very first episodes of this show, Hot and Heavy, specifically the second part of that, where we talked about the end of the stellar life cycles. So here's a flashback. I said, these objects in terms of density are just insane, mind-bogglingly insane. A teaspoonful of neutron star material weighs 10 million tonnes, that's as much as a mountain. Of course, if you somehow manage to remove a teaspoonful of neutron star material from the star, where gravity stops you from doing that, it would explode with the energy of a trillion atomic bombs, so lifting it up would be the least of your problems. A neutron star might be three or four times heavier than the sun, but only 20 kilometres across. You could fit one pretty comfortably in a decent-sized city. Although, for reasons similar to those we talked about with black holes, this is a very bad idea. That was from the second episode. If you want to find out more about neutron stars and how they form, I recommend you go back and listen to it. So, until then, although the neutron stars are massive enough to give us gravitational waves that are strong enough for LIGO to see, 
They don't warp space back on itself like black holes do. Although they can heavily bend light from nearby, they can't suck it in entirely. And in fact, when the neutron stars collided, they produced an intense pulse of radiation, of light, that was detected here on Earth by NASA's space-based Fermi telescope and other various telescope arrays dotted around the place. So there's a great quote from this that I got from the New York Times, this moment when they realised that they'd seen the, uh, the optical, the electromagnetic part, as well as the gravitational part. David Shoemaker is the spokesman for LIGO, and he said, So the gamma-ray burst lasted about two seconds, which put it in a category of short gamma-ray bursts, which are associated with black holes forming, perhaps when neutron stars collide. And uh, Dr. Shoemaker said, When we saw that, the adrenaline hit. So for the first time, we're looking at this event through two different lenses. One is the optical lens, the radiation, and the other is the gravitational waves. But we've seen pulses of radiation similar to this one before. They're called gamma-ray bursts, and we talked about the gamma-ray burst as an example of one of the phenomenon from space that can kill us all in the Teotihuacan special, It Came From Outer Space, which is actually one of the most popular episodes we've ever done, so obviously people like that thought of death rays from outer space. So you remember that supernovae are a little bit like massive bombs going off out in space because they radiate energy in all directions. The star collapses in on itself like a sphere, and then spherically it radiates out the energy again in all different directions. But in the case of gamma-ray bursts, which are far more energetic and powerful, it's more like a death ray. They have a single direction, and it points in a very highly collimated single line. And you probably also remember from that episode that gamma-ray bursts are still a little bit mysterious. We know that they're rare, and that they don't occur very often in the galaxy, but what causes them has always been something of a mystery. And they also came in two different kinds. You know, it's amazing, all of these uh, radio astronomers and people like this will uh, have a lot of sympathy with when things are first discovered, and we don't know what they actually, what's causing them, the physics behind them. They seem to come in all kinds of different types. So there's radio bursts, there's quasars, there's all sorts of names that we come up with for these things before we realise exactly what it is that they're doing. So there were two types of gamma-ray bursts that were discovered broadly. One was very brief and very intense, and they were called the short gamma-ray bursts. And the other ones were slightly longer and more frequent and drawn out, and they're the long gamma-ray bursts. But scientists had theorised for a while that the shorter pulses could be due to neutron stars merging together. Now this was pretty much an educated guess. Astrophysicists knew that, okay, whatever's producing this gamma-ray burst must be a pretty dramatic event out there in space. And what could be much more dramatic than two neutron stars colliding? After all, a single teaspoon of the matter is equivalent to two Mount Everest smashing into each other. So what happens when the neutron stars collide? They start spinning faster and faster and faster around each other, just like the black holes do, when they're locked in this binary orbit that's decaying as it releases these gravitational waves. And obviously the closer they get, the bigger the impact of gravity is, and the faster the orbit decays. So around two minutes before the impact, they're orbiting each other at around 30 times a second. Remember, these things are spheres 20 kilometres across, so people often compare them to the size of a city like Manhattan or Chicago, but, uh, but they weigh many times more than the sun. After 100 seconds, they're orbiting each other 2,000 times a second and releasing these incredible high-frequency gravitational waves as their gravitational fields bend and warp the stars into bizarre merging shapes. At this point, the gravitational waves themselves are the strongest, and that's when LIGO could detect them. Then, at the point of the merger, there is this brief, intense flash of light that bursts outwards for just a couple of seconds. And then, in all likelihood, the neutron stars collapse into black holes, because now there's enough matter there for them to collapse into a black hole. 
you'll remember that in the episode of Hot and Heavy, we talked about how the neutron stars are being forced apart by these quantum forces called uh, the neutron degeneracy pressure. And that's what counteracts the force of gravity. Well, that can do it for one neutron star, but when you put two together, the mass is probably too much, and it probably just collapses straight into a black hole. And so nothing else from that particular region of space will ever be seen again. So this is one example of a new kind of astronomy that the gravitational wave detections is, is helping us to allow. It's called multi-messenger astronomy, which means we have one signal from the light ray, and we have one signal from the gravitational waves. And we've got an interview coming up with an astronomer, uh, Dr. Rafael Alves-Batista, who is going to tell us all about how you can use cosmic rays as a type of multi-messenger astronomy. But the amazing thing about this is that each different messenger, the light, the gravitational waves, the cosmic rays, they'll all communicate different information to the astronomers. So the astronomers were able to detect the gravitational waves and the radiation from the same event. And this conclusively proved that these neutron stars merging together are behind the short gamma ray bursts. So this is something that's been predicted and worked on for years and years, and finally, the persistence of all the people working on this gravitational wave astronomy and the neutron star mergers, it's, it's, it's paid off for them. The great thing about this multi-messenger astronomy is that each messenger brings you information that the other messengers just can't bring you. By looking at the gravitational waves, the scientists can work out what kind of event it was, and even potentially point their telescopes towards the event to wait for the flash and the afterglow. And the gravitational waves can tell you about the masses of the neutron stars and the speed of the collision, all of which matched up beautifully with the theoretical predictions they were making. But the optical analysis gives you even more information. And specifically in this case, it's solved a very cool mystery that's been bugging scientists for quite a long time. It's something called R-process element formation. So just a reminder, again from the hot and heavy episodes on stellar formation, we talked about this. All of the elements around us are formed in the heart of stars. Stars collapse in on themselves, and they force nuclei together. They fuse them together in the process of nuclear fusion. And this is what powers the star, this is what produces all the sunlight, is nuclear fusion that's going on in the heart of the star. Nuclear fusion can get you so far. It can build hydrogen into helium, it can build helium up into carbon and beryllium, lithium, things like this but you can't get up to the highest elements in the periodic table just through nuclear processes that can go on in a normal star because it's not possible to produce anything heavier than iron through uh, nuclear fusion in a star. And the reason for this is that above iron, when you fuse, it actually requires more energy than it puts out to fuse the stars together, which means it's not a stable process to happen in a star. But you can get them in supernovae and super energetic processes like that. And we knew that all of these elements heavier than iron are being produced in these very energetic processes, like supernovae. They're the only things that can act with enough force to blast together the nuclei into these very dense, rarer elements. But there was a problem with the theory that supernovae did it. It didn't work for all of the elements, because essentially there weren't enough neutrons floating around in supernovae to explain why the elements that we see in the universe have the amount of neutrons that they do. So you needed a process called R-process nucleosynthesis, where neutrons are rapidly captured by nuclei like iron before they have time to decay, and that can explain the formation of some of these elements in terms of nuclear physics. So a lot of scientists suggested, naturally, that a collision between two neutron stars might be just the ticket. I mean, it's highly energetic. It's also got a flux of plenty of neutrons that can produce these R-process elements. By looking at the afterglow of this collision, 
you can tell what kind of elements are produced out there. So in Unusually Hot, the radiation episode, we talked about this idea that every element, every atom, has types of radiation that it likes to absorb and that it likes to emit. And that's all set by the quantum energy levels in the atom. But basically, it means you can use something called spectroscopy to figure out things about outer space. So atoms of a certain type only block out certain frequencies of light that they absorb. So you've got this massive burst of light from the neutron stars merging together. And then it passes out through this cloud around the neutron star of elements. And as it passes through the cloud, the cloud of elements absorbs certain frequencies depending on the elements that are in the cloud. So you can see which of the frequencies have been absorbed. You analyse the spectrum. That's why it's called spectroscopy. You split the light up using some sort of device, uh, like a spectrometer, Michelson-Morley is the classic example. And then you can see which elements are there in the cloud based on which frequencies have been blocked out of the light. So they did this for the neutron star merger, and they found exactly what they hoped to find. These are process elements. And these include elements like gold, platinum, and uranium. So now it seems highly likely that if you're rich and you own some gold, or you're super rich and you own some platinum, or you're a homicidal maniac and you own some uranium, that it's been produced by these neutron stars merging together somewhere deep out there in outer space billions of years ago. I think that's just wild. So there are plenty of other consequences of this discovery, like for example they published a paper that said they could also use the event to measure, in a new independent way, the rate of expansion of the universe, which is called Hubble's constant. So there's this huge flurry of scientific papers that's been published, and the astronomers will all be eagerly picking through them now for a few weeks. Since this is just a quick news update and I wanted to get it out today, I won't go into everything, so I'm sorry if I missed out something cool. But, you know, go and look up more stories on this if you're interested, especially the ones that have a wicked awesome concept art of neutron stars merging together. So, I just want to leave off with a few thoughts. Here's what they found. Neutron stars merging together. It's created a new kind of explosion that was theorised called a kilonova, because it's a thousand times stronger than an ordinary nova. It's produced these gravitational waves and radiation which have been detected together for the first time. And that's solved two massive unsolved problems in astronomy, or problems that people thought they understood but hadn't been confirmed for sure. So they now know that the short gamma ray bursts are caused by neutron star mergers. And we now know for sure that most of the gold and platinum and uranium and all the R process elements are probably being made by these neutron star collisions out there in space. So here are the thoughts then. First off, people worked on this project for years, decades, without knowing if it would ever succeed, hoping but never being certain. Einstein himself didn't think that gravitational waves would ever be detected. People have theorised about where the gold, the platinum, uranium and other things came from, and they've theorised about where the gamma ray bursts came from, and they had to wait for decades for their theories to be confirmed by the evidence. So I can't imagine the happiness and the feeling of joy for the people who are involved in this. Just reading about it makes me smile, because you know how much work they've put in. And secondly, the world is a dark and dingy place, and so much journalism is doom and gloom, especially lately. It's so rare that we manage to get a story that's such a lovely triumph like this, with very little downside, where we can celebrate the achievements of people involved and the wonders of the universe, the ludicrous, glorious, ridiculous business of finding these things out. But when you get these stories, these unashamedly 100% good, 
sheer awesome stories. It seems more often than not that they come from some brilliant scientific discovery. And in this case, particularly just for a few seconds, everything is illuminated again. So until next week, or until something amazing and unexpected happens, be kind to each other. Thank you.